Thank you, Scott, and uh, good morning to you all on this second Sunday of Advent. It seems like this is almost a Christmas Eve service. It feels very dark uh, outside today. It's not Christmas Eve, but what that is is a great segue for the announcement that I have, which is about Christmas Eve. Uh, uh, hopefully most of you, if not all of you, uh, saw the video earlier this week that we sent out uh, letting you know that we're doing Christmas Eve a little bit differently this year. Um, rather than having services in here, uh, we're going to do a couple of things. One, we're going to have a video um, that will go out on Christmas Eve, and you can watch that whenever uh, it is, that it works out well for you and for your family. And so that will have uh, many of the traditional things that we oftentimes do in here. Uh, <clears throat> including, you know, David Ackerman singing O Holy Night, one of those great kind of uh, traditions here at Zionsville Presbyterian Church. And so it'll be a great, it'll be a great uh, recording, so we look forward to that. But then what we're also doing, and this is the thing I am most excited about, which is an outdoor service. I think it's called Leaning Into This Season, and I think it's going to be outstanding. Who's excited like me? All right. Yes, good, good, good. All right, so uh, even if you're not, I appreciate you lying. It's going to be great. Um, so it's going to be at 5 o'clock, and, you know, uh, we're not going to say any weather. Obviously, if it's, you know, freezing rain or an ice storm, we will, uh, we will not do it. But it's going to take a lot for us to cancel that. We're very excited about that opportunity. So uh, I invite you to, uh, to come and to be there. Dress warmly. It'll be you know, uh, we will shorten the service to start at 5. We should be done by about 5.35, I would guess, something like that. So uh, if it's really cold, it, we may shorten it even more. If it's warmer, if it's in the 50s, we may go an hour, hour and a half. Who's with me? All right, good. All right. You don't get paid by the hour, you know. You're, yeah, you look like you were really excited about that. Okay. So, uh, so that'll be great. So we invite you uh, to be there at 5. We invite you to invite folks. The good news is we did this for like four months, outdoor worship. So we kind of know we're going to use basically the same theme, Jim Pictor's trailer, and, uh, and we'll be out there in the parking lot. It'll be, uh, it'll be great. So I'm, I'm excited about that. All right. Well, last week we kicked off Advent. Thank you, Scott, uh, Pastor Scott, for preaching and doing a great job on Isaiah last week. And uh, today we're going to be looking at Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. And so I invite you to hear these words from Isaiah. Isaiah says this, A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear. But with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist, and faithfulness the belt around his loins. And the wolf shall live with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox." The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the wean child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. 
And on that day, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the peoples. The nations shall inquire of him, and his dwelling shall be glorious. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, as we sit here in this season of Advent, we continue to wait. We know that you have come once before and that you told us that you would come yet again. And so we wait. But we wait, Lord, with expectancy. We wait in such a way that we know that we are also called to do and to be in the midst of this waiting. So I pray that you would continue to speak to us, even this morning. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts, will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. I think the book of Isaiah is a pretty remarkable book, but one of the things that I most appreciate about it is how full of imagery it is. Images are incredibly uh, powerful, right? I mean, if they weren't, then you wouldn't have these large uh, organizations or companies like Disney uh, suing anybody that gets even close to using the image of a mouse or a, of, a, of a silly dog named, is Goofy a dog or is that just Pluto? What, okay, all right, just wanted to be clear. Um, right? They, they're powerful. They have a way of kind of, of reaching deep into us. They have a way of standing much more than just kind of words would do. They're, there's a sense of, of life. Uh, there's a sense of them being able to kind of, it's multifaceted, these images are. And so Isaiah, throughout the book, he's oftentimes using these images. Uh, you, you recall the image, perhaps, of the, of the valley of dry bones, right, that all of a sudden becomes an army or or when, when a stone is, is, is touched to Isaiah's lips and all of a sudden uh, he is, or a coal, all of a sudden then his guilt and his sin is forgiven. There's all these images and our particular passage today is, is loaded with what is probably familiar images for many of us at least, right? You've got the image of the stump. You have the image of a shoot coming out of a stump. You have the the image later on of the belt of righteousness that goes around the coming Messiah. You have uh, this image of the lion and the lamb laying down together, of of a child playing over the hole of a snake that could come up at any moment. It's this, it's this very powerful images, right? And one of the important things about images is that they don't just engage our heads as words oftentimes do. They engage our hearts as well, right? So if you think about that image for a little bit longer of the child playing over the, where a snake probably is, there's a part of all of us that wants to kind of yell out. There's a part of all of us that wants to run over there, right? And, and, and in order to protect protect the child and then and then almost like this invisible hand right kind of kind of holds us back and then we see a snake this is uh, this I'm making this part up but in my mind I see a snake then kind of come up and kind of crawl up the child and just give it you know just a little kiss on the cheek before it slithers away right I mean this is just kind of what images do they make you keep thinking about them they stick with you there's a stick to about an image and Isaiah does an incredible job of painting these pictures for us in this book. The image that I think probably most stands with me typically when I think about this passage is that of the stump. 
A stump is something, is an image that we're all familiar with, and it's this, this image really of, 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 of death in many ways. Scholars suggest that more than likely when this particular part of the passage was written, um, that, that the Assyrians have come in and they've taken over Israel and they've destroyed it. And what was once so wonderful no longer is. The stump, of course, used to be this beautiful tree, the family tree of King David, right? It stood for this wonderful thing, this vibrancy and vitality and and hope, right? Uh, It was this, this wonderful tree and everything was great. And all of a sudden, the Assyrians have come in and they've just chopped it down so that now there's just this, this smoldering stump. So it's this, this symbol, if you will, of death and destruction, of, of sin and loss, of disappointment and, and hopelessness. And Isaiah looks out and he sees this stump of the thing that once was. I, I think that's a part of the struggle of a stump. Because it's not just, oh, there's something there. It's a reminder of the thing that was there before the stump. So uh, not long ago, I was talking to my sister, and she's, uh, she's in this neighborhood, and there's a property manager. She lives in these houses that this other company kind of runs, and, and a neighbor of hers, a few houses down, I think, um, had a car that the, a branch fell off and came down and crashed on the car, and the woman wasn't happy. Apparently, perhaps she had complained about this to the property manager, so she, the property company ended up getting sued, right? Well, what do you think the property company decided to do after that? They went around to tree after tree after tree and just began to cut them down. In fact, I asked my sister to send me a picture of one of these to make sure she's not lying, and there it is. This is one, of, and you can see it's a pretty big tree, right? And the thing is now, my sister goes for daily walks, she says, so that every time she walks by, right, it's not like she just saw them get cut down one day and then she kind of forgets about it, because every day that she walks along this road, she sees this, and you can even see in the background another huge tree trunk, um, and, and, and so she sees it again and again and again, right? It just kind of stays with her. She can't get past this image of the stump. And I think that in many ways, this is a part of what happens when we, are, when we have some kind of moment of, of destruction, some moment of sin, some moment of brokenness or pain or loss. It's, it's not that it just stays with us in that moment, is it? It's that it oftentimes keeps going, right? It's not like all of a sudden the Assyrians came in and, and, and destroyed everything and then they just left and, and, and then they could just quickly go back to the way things were before you can't just all of a sudden have a tree that's been built that's been growing over 100 years or more all of a sudden just be there like this my mom uh, uh, digitized some of our old family videos. I'm not sure I've ever actually seen the original family videos. I just watched it uh, uh, not long ago and and it, it was it's fascinating, right? These are really old. I mean, they're, they're older than me even. Some of them are before I was born, but then some of them was when I was born. And, um, and, and you see me, you know, as just this little fat baby kind of, you know, crawling around because I didn't walk until I was like 12, I think, or something. It was just, and so, and so, thank you, Amy. So there I was and just kind of, you know, crawling around. And, and, it, and it was really fun to see it. Um, I, I see there with my sister, you know, uh, four years, my senior running around and, 
Uh, and then there were these great images of my father, you know, and there he is, and he's kind of playing with me, and you could just see it, and I loved it. But I'd be lying if I didn't say that in the midst of loving that, I couldn't kind of get out of my head this knowledge that, that about 10 years later, this kind of fun family tree of everyone together was going to be chopped, right? And I don't mean to be melodramatic, but that's just, that's the image that kind of came to my head because I knew that in 10 years, you know, my parents would be getting a divorce and this, you know, be moving away from this father who's sitting there playing with me. And the reality that now this thing that looked so great 10 years previous was now just this kind of stump. And that even 36 years later, the stump was still there and it was a continual reminder of what used to be. We all have this, right? For some people, it's a job that they lost. Maybe it's a job that they loved. And now the cruelty of it is that they have to keep driving by the building where it was. And every time they drive by that building, they are reminded of the thing that once was. Sometimes it's Thanksgiving or Christmas. That's oftentimes what I hear from people, right? That, that you gather around together for Thanksgiving or Christmas, but maybe a loved one has passed away in the year previous or even oftentimes decades earlier, and, and you do all the same things, and you try to act like it's the same, but the reality is you know that something is missing, right? There's a, there's a, there's a chair with a stump, if you will. It's just not quite right. See, this is kind of the reality that many of us live in. We see this, this brokenness, just like the Israelites, who, who couldn't, they, they couldn't just act like everything was fine. It was right there, this reminder of brokenness, this reminder of sin, this reminder of hopelessness. And, and, and here's, here's a part of the problem of stump. Is that a part of the reason why we're constantly reminded of them is because stumps are really, really hard to get rid of. When I was in high school, I, uh, I had a neighbor a few houses down. He had probably just a couple acres, something like that, and he, he saw me as a strapping young teenager. I'm not, I'm not sure I was strapping, but, I, but it sounds right. And so he looked at me and he said, hey, you want to make some money? And I was like, sure, I'd love to make some money. He's like, all right, look, I got some stumps I want you to remove. And I was like, all right, I didn't know about the art of stump removal. And I thought, okay, sure, I'd love to do that. And then he told me what he was going to pay me, right? And he wasn't paying me per hour. He was paying me per stump. And I thought, oh, I'm going to kill this. And I looked out at the yard, and they were full of stumps. And I thought, oh, this is going to be the fastest, easiest money I'm ever going to make. And it took probably about six or seven minutes for me to realize what a fool I was. I mean, I came out there, there's, there was no machine there. I came out there, there was like a shovel, an axe, a saw, and this thing called a come along and a chain. And, 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 and so I, I just started digging. And, and if you've ever removed a stump like this, uh, there's a reason why they dynamite them. You just start digging and digging and digging. And then there's one and you're like, okay, I can try to chop one of these like thousand roots that are there. And you, you chop a little bit, but you can't really get to it because, you know, you're kind of in a hole. And so it's almost like trying to just kind of like go like this and you can't get, you try to saw and then it gets stuck. And then finally you get enough space. So you put a chain around it, right? And you have this come along that's then attached to a, a tree and you just start cranking and every once in a while you'll hear a pop, right? Have you ever heard that pop, which means one of the roots is breaking. If you if you've never 
if you've never uh, taken out a stump, you don't know the joy of that sound, a pop, and you're like, oh, I'm a little bit closer, right? And then you keep going, and you keep going, and you keep going. It is an absolute nightmare. I probably made like a nickel an hour trying to get rid of these stumps. And that, of course, is the reality, right? There's a reason why, as you go around, as, uh, you know, as you go around where my sister lives, there aren't just those trunks, there are stumps. There's also a lot of other stumps that have been cut long ago. There's a reason why there are still a lot of stumps in my old neighbor's yard in Florida, because I never got to them. Stumps are a nightmare. The truth is this. It is a whole lot easier to cut down a tree than it is to remove a stump. You ever thought about that? It's a whole lot easier, right? Uh, Think about some of these things. I mean, I I hear about these things and sometimes I even engage in them. It's amazing what you remember. How quick as a child, someone will say something to you. Maybe it's something about who you are. Maybe it's something about what you look like. Maybe it's, maybe it's, it can be almost anything. And decades later, right? It took them that long, one shop, and you still remember it long later, long after they had said that. Maybe it's those words, as we already mentioned, the simple words like, I want a divorce, or you're fired, whatever else they may be. And those things are done so quickly and seemingly easily, and yet it takes us forever if we ever are able to actually really move on. Think about, think about racism, right? The Civil War ended in 1865, over 150 years ago, and yet the stump of racism is clearly something that we have not eradicated. The truth is that we chop these things down, these destructive, these sinful, these broken things can happen in a moment. And yet, it is nearly impossible for us to be able to finally get the stump out. Which then leaves us with the question of what did Isaiah want us to do with that image? Because, you know, he could have told the Israelites, here's what I think the Lord is saying, I'm, that you also just run through this kind of valley of dry stumps. Just run through it. Act like it's not even there. Right? And if you did that, what do you think would happen? You would just continually trip and fall and trip and fall and trip and fall. You would never make any progress. Or he could have said to them, oh, you know what? You should just close your eyes and just, you know, plug your ears and sing happy, campy songs. Eat and drink away. Entertain yourselves. Act like that sin and brokenness and pain and hopelessness aren't even there. Just sit there and do that. He could have said all those things, but he doesn't. What does Isaiah see when he looks at this stump of Jesse. What he sees, of course, is a shoot. He sees new life. He sees this beginning, this this sapling perhaps, all of a sudden growing right out of the stump, right there in the very middle midst of this valley of darkness, life coming out of death, light coming out of darkness, hope coming out of despair. And as Michael Chan says so well, he says, this is how Israel's God works. Israel's God 
always works in the midst of death. It's throughout Scripture, isn't it? It's in the midst of there being nothing and chaos, and all of a sudden, there is creation. It's in the midst of those valley of dry bones that all of a sudden come alive. It's in the midst of Jesus coming in and taking what is broken and healing them physically, healing them spiritually, healing them emotionally. It's in the midst of Jesus being raised from the dead. It's in the midst of what Paul tells us of the old life being gone and a new life is begun. That God works in the very midst of the place where it looked like only death and destruction and darkness would prevail. I think that's really important for us to realize because I think that there are far too many Christians who think that if what they're going to have is hope and joy and peace in this time, that what they need to do is they either have to ignore all the brokenness that they have endured, the pain that they've endured, or they have to spend all their time trying to rip out all of these stumps when perhaps the call of those of us who follow God is instead to begin to look at those places and begin to discover where it is that God might be at work right there in the very midst of that stump. I've been reading this devotional by, uh, by Father Jacques Philippe, right? And, uh, uh, which is just a great French name and and, and it seems to me it pertains a bit, especially when it comes to peace. Here's, it's a little lengthy of a quote, but here's what he says. He says, if we seek peace as the world gives it, if we expect peace in accordance with the reasoning of the world or with the motivations that accord with the current mentality that surrounds us, hear this, because everything is going well, because we aren't experiencing any annoyances, because our desires are completely satisfied, etc., then it is certain that we will never know peace or that our peace will be extremely fragile and of short duration. What is Father Jacques Philippe saying? He's saying this, that if you think that the way that you are finally going to be at peace, the way that you will finally be hopeful and full of joy is just to get rid of at some point, somehow get rid of all that brokenness, all that pain, anything bad that's ever happened to you, and that everything's going to be going swimmingly for you, that you will either never find it or your peace will last for about three or four seconds. That the way to be able to finally be a person of peace and hope and joy is not to ignore those stumps, not to act like there isn't pain, not to act like the Assyrians haven't come in and kind of swept over much because, quite frankly, of your own doing, but is instead to be able to say the Lord is with us and somehow, somewhere, God is doing something through this old stump that is going to bring light and life and hope. And our call is to try to discern where that is. And I think that the world around us is actually craving for a group of people who don't ignore the sin and brokenness and pain and yet aren't overwhelmed by it, but instead find life and light where everyone else seems, sees only darkness and despair. I have an analogy that I realize may seem like a stretch to you, but I don't think it is, but you can tell me later. 
I'm intrigued. I always think for followers of Jesus, it's good for us to be aware of what intrigues the culture around us, what's incredibly popular, because I think you oftentimes, if you dig a little bit, you might find something there. I was thinking about this this past uh, week, or actually last weekend. Uh, I was thinking about shows on HGTV that are so popular, right? Um, uh, um, let's see here. What are they? Uh, Fixer Upper, of course, Chip and Joanna Gaines, uh, The Property Brothers. Um, what's the one in Indy? Good Bones, uh, the one that takes place in Indy or Hometown. Um, uh, I've, not, I've watched like one, one or two Hometown before uh, Thanksgiving weekend. We watched a lot during Thanksgiving weekend. I'm not sure why, but we did. And here's the thing. They're all the same. They really are. You get someone who walks in, right, and they see this old, broken, down, disgusting, usually, house, a stump of a house, right? And they come in, and the people who come along with them, right, the people who are thinking about buying this house, they're looking at it, and they're like, oh, it stinks. This place is the worst. No. And the people, right, whoever it may be, right, for, uh, for hometowns, Ben and Aaron, right? I mean, we're close, so we can, I just call them that now after spending 12 hours with them every day over Thanksgiving weekend. And so you, you go in there, and Ben and Aaron are like, whoa, oh, you can, you can do something. And you're like, no way. This time they're never going to be able to do something. No, this is going to be the worst. And so you watch and bit by bit and moment by moment and dollar by dollar, although it's never usually as many dollars as it really should be, all of a sudden when you get to the end of the hour-long show, it's incredible right? Now think about it. They could do a lot of shows, and there are some shows, but they're not nearly as popular, and they would be a lot easier where it would just be a flat place, there'd be no stumps, no old houses, and they can just build you something new just out of nothing. Ex nihilo. They could do that, but that's not, that's nowhere nearly as intriguing to people as when they see someone go into a place that is old and broken down and decrepit and kind of everyone else is kind of signed off and be able to see that come to life, right? I mean, we saw it. I mean, I'm telling you, they, these, these people at HGTV are genius, right? Because you, you watch it restored and you're like, whoa, and you're like, whoa, it's been 10 hours. We got to get up. And then all of a sudden, they come out and there's no commercials between and they show you the next old house. And by that point, you're like, we've already wasted 12 hours. What's 13? We love to see something old and broken down and seemingly hopeless brought to life. And it seems to me that a part of the call of Jesus' followers is to be the group of people who are like Ben and Aaron and Chip and Joanna and the way that they can go in. And when everyone else sees death and destruction and despair in your life, they say, oh, I, don't, I think that's real. I'm not trying to say that that's not real. But I want you to know that the Lord isn't done here. That there's still much life to be found. And can you imagine how attractive a community of faith would be like that who's going from place to place and person to person and is able to come alongside of them in the midst of their stump. Again, not saying, oh, this is easy peasy, but say, oh, ah, there's life. Just as Isaiah was saying to the Israelites, oh, no, 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 I realize the Assyrians are here, but God isn't done yet. So part of our call, part of Isaiah wants us to see is to kind of live into the midst of wherever that dark place is and to know that there is no place where the light of Christ cannot shine and bring new life. 
But there's one other thing, it seems to me, that we should look at this morning when it comes to this particular passage. As I said, there's full of images. The second part has so many great images. You know, these are what we oftentimes call the peaceable kingdom. So you have the lion and the lamb lying down together. You've got a bear and a cow that are, you know, like eating and grazing together, not on one another. Um, you know, you've got this child again who's just kind of there close to a snake, two different children almost, it seems, perhaps. These are really captivating images. And part of the question, of course, that preachers ask is, okay, that's great. What do we, what do, we do with this, right? What do we do with these images of the peaceable kingdom? What do we do with these images of God's kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven? What do we do with that? And I love what one commentator said because he kind of stopped me in my tracks. And he said, here's the thing preachers need to understand is that we as preachers are going to be very tempted to try as we read that to rally the troops and say, okay, we have this image of what's to be. Let's go do it. Let's get there. Come on, we can do it. Let's bring that peace. Let's bring that justice. Let's bring that hope. Let's do all those things, right, which is good and right, right? Throughout Scripture, we see these things. Do justice, love mercy. Jesus is always calling us to love our neighbor, love our enemy, to do these things, right? That is good and right. Please hear me. But as Stan Mass points out, if we want to be faithful to this particular passage and just to look at this, we have to realize that there are also those times when we need to not be called to be doing all those things, but to simply stopping and resting in those images of what is to come. This is a lot of what we've been talking about over these last few weeks as we've kind of had our, our 40 days of meditation. I, I think by and large, ZPC is not perfect. Um, um, did you realize that, right? Do I need to say that or do we just kind of get that? Okay, so, but, but one thing we're really good at is doing things, right? We're really good at doing things. And if, if this was a congregation that was really good at just being, I would be spending a lot of my time saying, come on, get up, do something, you lazy people. But the good news so often in a church like this is that we need to be reminded of the fact that we are also simply called at times to simply be. And we really need this. There's a couple of different, there's several different reasons probably, but part of the reason is this, is because we need to be reminded that first of all, it's going to be this Messiah who is going to bring this kingdom finally. It doesn't mean that we don't join in with what God's doing. We talk about that, building for God's kingdom, but it's always this reminder, right? The reason why, N.T. Wright's the one that gave me this, the reason why it's building for God's kingdom, you may notice this, I don't ever say building God's kingdom, because who builds God's kingdom? God, right? But we are building for God's kingdom. It's a preposition that helps us to kind of realize that we're kind of doing this, but really it's God that's doing this, right? We're joining up. It's, it's, it's God, right? We need that space. But that we also need to just rest. When you think about those images, it reminds us of what is to come. Because it is incredibly easy for us 
when we are trying to do things for the Lord, if you will, to begin to place all of that on our shoulders. And it is incredibly relieving to exhale and to remember that no matter how dire you may think things are, no matter how you may not realize or understand exactly how this is all going to turn out, that as Isaiah says, he gives us these images, this is what is going to be. And if we can just exhale for moments at a time and remember that, it will very well change even how we live daily. And so one of the challenges that I want to give to you this week is not to add any more time to your 15 minutes of meditation that I've asked you to do over these 40 days, but instead to take five of those 15 minutes and to simply imagine. That means either you're sitting there and you're just thinking about it, or for those of you who are uh, artfully inclined, you can, you can draw something, you can paint something. And it doesn't have to be these images, it can be, but they can also be your own images. Images that for you represent wholeness, represent peace and shalom to come. I, I had finished this sermon uh, earlier in the week and the next day I found it interesting that I was talking to a ZPCer and we were talking about the time that she'd spent kind of meditating over these last, I don't know, however many days it is now, 20 days or so, something like that, 21 days maybe. And she said, you know, what's interesting is that I have been spending um, some of the time on meditation uh, thinking about um, um, a loved one, a family member that she's had that, that's battled disease for I think around 20 years now. And what I have been doing, she said, is I've just been picturing what it would be like for him to be whole. And I don't know if that's something that can happen on this side of the return of Jesus or if it will need to wait until after Jesus has returned. But I thought that's exactly what I'm talking about today. That perhaps this week a part of what you can do is just rest in those images and be reminded. What does it look like for you, for the Lord to bring about his kingdom? and to simply soak in that peaceable kingdom. This morning, as I was talking to Jason, I, I suggested that perhaps, actually it wasn't this morning, but earlier in the week, that perhaps one way that we could end today uh, is, to, is to have him come up and have us practice this. And so I'm going to encourage you to stay right where you are. You can leave, Amy, if you've got some place to go. But the rest of you stay right where you are. And just to close your eyes. And as they sing this kind of more contemplative song, I invite you either to think about these images that Isaiah gave to us or to think about in your own life. What, what, might, that, what might that look like? It might look like a world without racism. It might look like a loved one that you have lost that is now there. It might look like some of your own brokenness of a stump that is now a full blooming tree yet again. Whatever it may be, let us reflect on God's peaceable kingdom even now.